wonderful. You know, we've, uh, I've always felt this church has exported uh, 20-somethings to the kingdom of God out there, haven't they? <laughs> so some have stayed with amongst us. It's wonderful to have a once youth member of the church return and be amongst us again for a season. It's absolutely special. It reminds us, doesn't it, of the scores, the scores of, of young people that have found Jesus through this church. And, and I've been sent out on fire for God in all sorts of places in this country. Some of your children I'm looking around amongst now and even around the world. It's wonderful. So Mary, you're a boomerang to us and we love it. We love it. It's been so encouraging to have you around for this season. Um, I'm just going to give you a little update about me. And if you don't know me, that's absolutely fine. This is not going to mean too much to you. But if you've been part of the church for a while, then you may be keen to hear uh, an update regarding our story and what God's doing with us and how that interacts with you as a church. So for the last couple of years, really, I've been seeking God about our future. And uh, I've come to a conclusion. uh, And that conclusion is that my time on staff at King's Church here is to come to an end. That's the conclusion I've come to. There are many factors behind that that I've been weighing up over the months, over the year, and and beyond. I can give you a little synopsis of a few of them now, uh, and if you want to know more, I can share more detail uh, with you or maybe on another occasion. Uh, Right at the beginning, actually, of the process, as as Dale was uh, anticipating laying down the lead elder role here, uh, we were wondering how that was going to affect us as a team and as a church. Uh, One of the prophetic words... Um, regarding Quincy, did also reference another church scenario uh, and liken two people there to, to Quincy and I. Uh, and in that other church scenario, one went on to lead the eldership team in that church uh, and one left and went somewhere else to another church. Anyway, that was just a hint. I wasn't taking that too literally, but it's, it's been there all along. There was another day when I went for a, a prayer walk, as I often do from my house, um, and the, the, the thing on my heart that morning that I couldn't really shake off was this prayer, Lord, should I stay, should I go? Which I know is a song from the 70s, but, you know, it was also uh, the prayer of my heart. And I thought, right, okay, let's, let's take that with me on my prayer walk. And as I left the house and walked down the drive, should I stay, should I go, Lord, what, what is your answer on this one? Got to the end of the driveway and chalked in big letters on the road, Right outside my house was the word go. The kid, in COVID time, yeah, there weren't many cars, and the kids were playing on the street with their remote control cars, because in Oxford you play with remote control cars. I had Matchbox in my day. But, uh, <laughs> and they'd chalked out this racetrack, start and finish, and then the, the word anyway. So I was mulling this over, walking around the corner on my prayer, Lord, is this you? Is this just coincidence? Is this me going, you know, bananas? Uh, and around the corner were some temporary traffic lights. And as well as electronic versions, there was a, one of those manual ones, you know, those lollipop ones, stop, go, yeah? Lying on the ground, go side up. I wouldn't have noticed that, I don't think, if it hadn't been for the chalk. And then around the corner, lo and behold, the other end of the traffic light system was the same. Same thing. So that, that's stayed with me. I've been mulling over that for a long time. How to interpret that? Uh, I believe that is, that is God. Just to tell you another occasion, I'd been to the dentist because I needed a tooth out. 
And uh, can I have the molar out, but not the wisdom tooth? He was trying to persuade me to take the wisdom tooth out because it was growing kind of at a funny angle, had been the cause of the molar crumbling in the first place. I decided, you know, take the molar out. There's not much of it left. There's no point trying to do a root canal. It probably won't work anyway. But keep the wisdom tooth because now there's a big space next to it. Do you want to see? No, you probably don't. And, uh, and as soon after I'd finished with the dentist, um, I, I went to a meeting. It was us elders, the four of us elders, and then Dave Holden and Jim Partridge, you may or may not know, from within New Ground. And we had a rare occasion all together in person to talk about the transition here at King's. And in a time of prayer, at the end of that, I felt God just speak to me through my dentist appointment. As you said this morning, <laughs> Kevin, God can speak on any day. I've got this date in my diary. It's because you do when God speaks like this. And I just felt God say, I'm the molar that needs to come out. And I felt, if you like, Dale was the wisdom tooth that needed to stay. Normally, a lead elder, a lead elder if he's setting things down, may be moving on or maybe going to another church. But it's right that our wisdom tooth remains. I know in a different kind of style, remains. And I, I needed to come out so that the new growth, the new growth could come through. Yeah, that means Quincy. Yeah, that means others as well. And Kevin was about to say, well, what about me? And I, I did see a picture of some braces around the teeth that just ensured that the new growth would grow in line and true. So that was, that was God speaking to me. Um, there's been other prophetic things that I've heard from other folk as well. But also the process has been one of sober assessment. Over the months, not knee-jerk, not emotional reaction, not emotional-led. There's been lots of emotion, but not emotionally-led. And it's a sober assessment of, of me, if you like, before God. It's a sober assessment of the team and what's, what's a good fit for now and for the future. And it's a, an assessment of us as a church here and, and what's appropriate for the way forward. So I know that's just a summary and that may may inspire more questions, and I'm very happy to receive more questions in private or in public if there's an occasion. Um, but that's really where I'm at. So over the last few weeks, and it's been weeks, literally, I've been exploring, therefore, Lord, what other employment do you have for me? Um, as it happens, I'm, I'm in conversation with a couple of churches who are looking for a staff elder of some type or variety to see whether or not that's the right route for them, for me. Uh, I can tell you about one of them now, because Carrie and I, this week, are spending four days, Thursday to Sunday, on the island of Guernsey. Um, they have a bit of a leadership uh, vacuum appearing. Their remaining elder is stepping down in Easter, and then they're without elders. And also another a pastoral staff member is also ending in the summer. So this has been something they've been anticipating for some time and looking to God four. Uh, so we're going to be with the church, to spend time with them, to meet them, and to see how God might speak to them, how God might speak to us, see whether God's in that or in something else. So do pray for them as a church, because whether it's us or not, well, if it's us, then do pray for them. But if, 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 it's, if, it's, if it's not us, then they're still looking, and they're fellow New Ground Church, they're looking to God to provide uh, and they believe it's somebody from outside as well as maybe a team that will be raised up from within. And uh, they need it relatively urgently. Um, I mean, I didn't know about any of these options at the turn of the year, really. Well, one of them was sort of in circulation, but I wasn't too sure of it. Um, so I've also been applying for market research jobs, the industry I was in eight years ago. 
And already I've been offered a, a part-time temporary contract with a previous employer of mine. Um, I'm also in another interview process as well. So I, I remember when I told you at the end of October, I wasn't quite sure the direction I was to go in. In some ways, I'm still not sure. Uh, but all of a sudden, there are a number of potential routes. I want the right route, <laughs> understandably. So any prayers in that direction would be gratefully received. I just mentioned the part-time temporary contract just because it may be that that is part of God's plan. Uh, and I'll tell you why. It, it may just enable me to kind of ease the transition in a staggered phase-by-phase phase phase approach by reducing my days per week at King's, increasing somewhere else for a season. It may just ease the financial scenario for us as a church in the new financial year. I know we haven't given a bit of a finance update for a while, but I'm sure that'll be down the line. It may just be part of God's provision for that summer term. And I think for us, still at the beginning, really, of the journey of what next, particularly if it's another church scenario, which takes time, relationally and discerningly, uh, we might need a bit of a space to work that out um, before we conclude on our longer-term future. So there's a bit of an update, uh, but I'm still keen to get into the Word of God. But do come back to me. Do talk to me. We, we value your input. I'm so delighted that we could share the story at the end of October unfinished <laughs> because I want you involved. I value your input, your counsel, your prayers, your discernment, your advice, your questions. It's been helpful over the last few months, and it will be helpful going forward for us. Just to say, really, we're, we're very much at peace about the decision for me to stop employment here at King's, but we're very much still in a spin about, therefore, Lord, what next? It's a little bit disorientating, but that's okay. We're just kind of walking each day and trusting in him and trying to deal with each day with humility and with integrity as we go on our walk. Thank you. I know that's big news as we change gear, um, but I do really want to give time to the Word of God this morning. So if you do have a Bible, uh, let's just turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 31. We're in a series entitled Pursuing Jesus, and we're looking at the beginning and the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we started last week in the first part of Luke chapter 4. We're going to pick up the story from verse 31, so let me read it to you. You can follow it on your device, in your Bible, or on the screen behind me. It says this, Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are, with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon 
Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful account that has been preserved for us for today. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us? Help us to understand what's going on here. Help us to understand Jesus and who he is. Help us to understand how we now, in our day, in our time, amongst the people you've placed us, are to work with you to extend the kingdom of God through word and through deed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a story, huh? What an account. I find this passage both thrilling and frustrating. <laughs> Maybe you do too. If, if you don't, don't worry about the frustration thing. We'll come to that later. <laughs> but this is a thrilling, what a day. Oh, to have been there. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the day? Imagine you are a resident of Capernaum. And at synagogue that week, there was a visiting guest speaker from the local town of Nazareth. He was a 30-year-old uh, construction worker from down the road, but he caused so much stir in his hometown, they'd driven, driven him away. But you decided you'd hear him out. And then in the middle of his sermon, a bit like me right now, Someone loudly interrupts the meeting. Can you believe it? It suddenly bursts out with this, this command to, to be quiet and, and to go back to where he came from and declaring he was the Holy One of God. And then Jesus said, be quiet, and he was. But he started convulsing on the floor. What a kafafa, what a hullabaloo. Everyone turned to see what was going on, and, and then he was calm. And it seemed as if the spirit, whatever it was, was gone. Uh, but the guy's okay. Well, you can imagine, can't you, uh, lunch that day, a bit like after a Sunday meeting, wow, there's a lot to talk about. He had to update, you know, what, what was that? What's going on? And at every uh, lunch occasion around, I'm sure many others were saying the same thing. Well, later that night, someone stopped by with excitement, saying, we're all going down to Simon's place. He said, like, why are you going down to Simon's place? Well, have you not heard his mother-in-law who had this high fever. I mean, it was touch and go for Simon's mother-in-law. It really was. This was a serious fever, and they didn't have paracetamol in those days. And this was a low-lying region, maybe 200 meters below sea level. It was near a large lake. I mean, this was mozzie land. I mean, malaria was common in this kind of location. Perhaps she had it too. 
But she's well, said the new. Have you not heard? She's, she's up and about and helping and serving and doing stuff. What? So we're all taking our sick folk down there. Come on, come on. And you go with them. And, and you, you take granddad who, you, you know, lives there because he's, he's not too well. And you take little Johnny because he's, 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 he's not well. And you all go down to Simon's house. And sure enough, it's jam-packed. It's late at night. And it's, uh, normally people are tucked up in bed, but everyone's out. And, they're, they're down, and, and Jesus is spending time with every single one of these sick folk. Sick folk. And he's laying his hands on them. And they're well. And, and they're better. And, and it sounds like they're delivered of spirits as well. If the shrieks of, you're the son of God, or anything to go by. Well, right into the night. This was going on, and everyone left healthy and well and full of joy. I mean, it was, when you reflected on it the next day, the best day of your life. It would have been, would it not? Granddad's better. He's not hobbling so much. And and little Johnny, he's never been so well. What a delightful day to have been there. You know, we're maybe familiar with these stories of healing, but let's just step into them again. What a thrilling day it would have been. I just want to highlight to you this morning three things I feel this account that Luke's preserved for us tell us about Jesus. They tell us who Jesus is, they tell us the extent of his power and authority, and they tell us what he's like. I just want to highlight those things to us this morning. So in this account, Luke is presenting Jesus as the healer, as the deliverer. And if you remember from last week, Dale talked about his previous stopover in Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd also preached in the synagogue that day from Isaiah chapter 61, that famous passage predicting the coming of the Messiah. And he basically said, it's me, by the way. This all applies to me. And perhaps he'd spoken a similar, if not the same message in Capernaum as he began his preaching tour. He was taking perhaps the same message. We don't know. But anyway, what he certainly was doing in Capernaum was proving the message he gave in Nazareth. Because he'd said from Isaiah 61, didn't he, at the early part of chapter 4, as he quoted Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me, he said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. In other words, to heal people. He's anointed me, said Jesus, to set the oppressed free. We've been singing about it this morning. To set folk free from the demonic forces, from the evil one's influence, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here we have someone who said one thing and did the same thing. He said he was going to do this and he did it. That's Jesus. Not every leader's like that. Not every one of us is like that. But Jesus did that. In Nazareth, he declared it. And in Capernaum, he did it. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to restore sight to the blind. And and here he is, performing miracle after miracle. I do believe, I do wonder whether this was the first time in history ever in the world that there had been mass supernatural healings. This is one of the first miracles of Jesus. He may have done the the wine thing in Cana before this, but this was the day when healing broke out on a scale never seen before. Yeah, there there are healing accounts in the Old Testament, and uh, Jesus referred to a couple of them at Nazareth, and 
They all picked up on them last week when, for example, Elijah uh, raised a young lad to life, having been dead. Uh, The widow of Zarephath, her son had died, and Elijah laid on him, and he came back to life. An amazing account of a solo healing. Uh, Jesus also highlighted Elisha, who had healed Naaman the Syrian of leprosy by telling him to go and wash in the River Jordan seven times. And lo and behold, his skin was clean. He was clear of that that disease. Again, another solo uh, healing occasion. But now, Jesus is different to that. He's, he's, He's like the healers of old, but more so. He's not just an anointed man. He is the anointed one. The one that Isaiah had long prophesied. The Messiah. The anointed one. The Christ. And it's clear even the demons in this passage know who Jesus is. They they, they know who he is straight away. It's as if they're trying to use, I think, his name to exert some influence and authority over Jesus. Because perhaps that was the thought. If you knew someone's name, you could kind of exert some, some influence. But it didn't work. They called him the Holy One of God. The Holy One. A name for God found 26 times, I think, in the book of Isaiah and found elsewhere in in the Old Testament. They called him the Son of God. Again, pointing to Jesus' divinity. He wasn't just an anointed healer. He was God himself incarnate. So these healings tell us something about who Jesus is. They also reveal the extent of Jesus' power and authority. And we have to conclude from this account that his power and authority is complete and absolute. Because whoever the person is, whatever the symptoms, whatever the root of these sicknesses, Jesus can deal with it. Do you get that? Every person, male and female, young and old, even mothers-in-law, are healed by Jesus. And that goes on. I mean, there's another 35 healing accounts across the, across the Gospels. Every single permutation you can imagine of person and sickness and root cause. And Jesus deals with them, heals them, delivers them. You know, whatever the symptoms, Luke records in verse 40 here that they came with various kinds of illnesses. I mean, Luke's a bit of a doctor, but he kind of his list was too long to recite. There's just, just various kinds of illnesses, and they were all healed. Whatever the symptoms, Jesus could heal it. And whatever the root cause, Jesus could deal with it. I know in our Western mindset, in our culture today, it's often felt that probably every sickness has a physical root. That's not how Jesus saw it. It wasn't always obvious, but but Jesus discerned that there was a spiritual root behind this person's outburst in the meeting. We might just think they had a bad day. There's something, there's a root, and he dealt with it. Even when it came to Simon's mother-in-law, she had a high fever. You might have thought she, she had malaria. Jesus rebuked the fever. Luke was very precise on the language here. This seems to be language that he often applies to, 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 to release from demons, demonic oppression. Not, not healing. So, so maybe there was a spiritual root even in her illness. It wasn't a mozzie after all. But he dealt with it. He had authority and power. You know, whichever way it was, and maybe we don't know, whether it was demon or disease, Jesus could deal with it. Amen?
Amen. That's the extent of his power and authority. And then what really blows my mind is that Jesus has power and authority outside of time. You know time, chronology, one minute after another. Jesus wasn't constrained by those things. Because this account appears in, the t- in two other Gospels. And uh, Matthew writes about this event. And he says, in his con- he concludes that this event proves that Jesus fulfills Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, which he quotes as saying, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That's talking about the cross. As all the prophecy of Isaiah 53 seems to now, we understand, be talking about. He's prophesying about an event that has yet to happen. Yet Matthew is concluding, because Jesus bore our diseases and took up our infirmities, he was able to heal on this. But it hasn't happened yet. But Jesus, his power and authority is such that he could draw backwards in time his ultimate victory over the evil one and all his influence in the world. That blows my mind. That's what Jesus, I believe here, is demonstrating. I'm in no doubt. There are no limitations and there are no constraints to Jesus' power and authority. Are you with me? Thirdly, I think this account reveals the depth of Jesus' love for people who are hurting. Luke provides us, I think, here with some beautiful detail, I think, that just gives us a little window into knowing something of the heart of Jesus. Look at verse 35. The the man who was convulsing, thrown around by this departing demon, Luke notes, maybe he goes up to him afterwards, you're right, yeah, I'm okay. Without injuring him, the demon left. Such is the care of Jesus. When he asked, he was asked to help Simon's mother-in-law, verse 39, Luke notes that Jesus bent over her. I love that. I don't know. What, what is that? I feel that just communicates something of Jesus' reassurance to this woman, of his desire to connect with her. Of his, he wasn't just going to heal her and move on. No, he, he wanted to, to relate to her. Something in his eyes. It was beyond the healing. This is something of his love he was communicating. He bent over her. And then when the crowd turned up at Simon's house, after, after dark, because, you know, then the Sabbath was over, and it's okay to kind of bring you, you know, that was how they were thinking. I mean, Jesus had had a busy day. He'd been preaching. He'd had all sorts of reactions. There's been, you know, and there's, there's people he's been with all, all afternoon. And, and Luke notes that Jesus laid his hands on every single one of those sick and hurting people. Into the night, I imagine. Into the early hours, perhaps, of the morning. I don't know, maybe Jesus could have just commanded blanket healing and everyone could have gone home happy. But he chose to spend time with each one. To to touch them. I think, if nothing else, it communicates his heart. Even with this mother-in-law, Luke tells us that he rebuked the fever. Maybe that 
is what was effective in her healing, but the other gospel writers tell us other details. Matthew tells us that Jesus touched her hand. And Mark tells us that he took hold of her hands, brought her up. I think maybe touch, like with the laying on of hands. I mean, this is the first time, I think, in, in biblical narrative that laying on of hands was used to impart healing. But maybe in this instance, it was the rebuke that brought the healing, but his touch imparted his love, his affection for her. A thrilling day. I would love to have been there. Hopefully, you've been transported a little bit back to those times and, and caught something of the wonder of this day. But it does frustrate me, this passage. Maybe not you, maybe not. Maybe we'll after I've shared my frustration. I hope, it does. I hope I'm not adding to your frustration. But, you know, it's a bit of the elephant in the room, isn't it? Jesus, why doesn't it happen like that now? Jesus, why don't we see everyone immediately and completely healed when we pray for them in Jesus' name? You might think I'm going to give you an answer, but the only answer I've got is I don't know. I don't think this passage really helps us. I don't think... Uh, Anywhere else particularly helps us, although you could probably spend a whole sermon on the passages that seem to relate to it, but I think we'd still boil it down to the answer, the conclusion, I don't know. I don't know why, after much prayer for many people, my dad, who fell down a few steps in October, was still in hospital until last week. Why? We've been praying for him, Lord. I don't know why my sister was diagnosed with cancer a year ago in the bowels, in the lung, in the liver. And she's still going through treatment, still not gone yet. I don't know why my, my niece had COVID back in May or whenever it was, and she can still only manage a quarter of the school timetable for the lack of energy. And you'll have your stories and your questions around, Lord, what's going on here? I mean, I do praise God that my dad went home last week after much prayer. I do. I see God's hand. I, I do thank God that that uh, my sister scans the other week, last week or so, concluded that the cancer had shrunk and that with two further operations, she should be cancer-free. Praise God. I do thank God that the doctors have diagnosed something in my niece that may enable some treatment to be administered that may restore her energy. So sometimes we do see answers to prayer, Lord, but it's not always like this. I can't remember a day where I've seen when everyone was healed and walked away healthy and well. So we are left with that, aren't we? I spend time with, with someone almost every week who is grieving, grieving the loss of someone who, who died, we would all probably conclude, prematurely. And walking through that pain. Someone that we, as a church, prayed for, many people prayed for. Someone who, for whom much faith was exercised. And yet, Week after week, grief and pain, challenge, and questions, tears. Lord, forgive me my frustrations, but this I know. This passage reminds me to put my faith in Jesus, not Faith for healing. That's what I come back to. Faith in Jesus, not 
so much faith for healing. But this I know about Jesus, and we've looked at it already. Jesus is the healer, and he is the deliverer. Amen? And Jesus has complete and utter power and authority over every sickness, whatever its cause, whatever its source, and every evil in this world. Amen? And Jesus is full of tender love and compassionate care for every hurting, sick person in this world. And I know that. I know that. But I'm pursuing Jesus. That's who Jesus is. And I know also that eventually we will all die of one thing or another, even if it's old age. (laughs) Even if we've experienced miraculous healing in this lifetime, we will all die. None of these people can give you their testimony this morning because they're not here anymore. Yet I also know for those who die in Christ, there is hope. Certain hope, not vain hope. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore we will be raised to new life. And we will be given a new resurrection body that will know no error or, dif- or, or disease, will know no sadness or suffering or sin or tears or evil. That is our hope. So I pursue Jesus, even if I have to accept the mystery. I just want to share a few brief things, and then I want to give time for the Holy Spirit to minister to us this morning. Uh, Interestingly, our title of the series is called Pursuing Jesus, and in verse 42 it says just that, that people were looking for or pursuing Jesus. They came to him, and there he was, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. You know, we can pursue Jesus in enthusiasm, but perhaps in the wrong way, in a self-serving way, like the people on that day. Jesus has to go elsewhere. This message of the kingdom that comes through word and deed has to be seen and heard by others who have yet to experience it or hear of it. And we too, in our day, in our time, need to follow in those footsteps. And we can ask ourselves, why, why, why was this moment the moment that Jesus started breaking out in so many healings? I mean, he's 30. Why have we not seen this up to this point? And you can look back over the preceding chapter and you can, I, I think, see that it was to do with his partnership with the Holy Spirit. Going back to verse 1 of chapter 4, having been baptized in water, having received the Holy Spirit, we're told by Luke, that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into tough times. You know the Holy Spirit leads us into tough times sometimes. And he went where the Spirit led him, that in verse 14, having resisted temptation for 40 days, Luke then tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Ah. That's the difference. That's why now, age 30, it wasn't the age thing, by the way. He was now ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought he was God. Yeah, but now the Holy Spirit has come upon him and filled him and led him and now empowered him. There's something in there for us. As we press in, looking for more healing, expecting more deliverance to come to people we minister to, there's something in that combination we must be taught by if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in the kingdom advance that he's called us to continue. 
There's something about being supernaturally empowered. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've not experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that is for you. Jesus modeled it. And then we're to live holy lives, holy, righteous lives, even through testing times, just as Jesus did, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because there's some link between our righteous living and the power of the Holy Spirit operating through us. I believe it. And he relied on the Holy Spirit through those challenging times. We've been through a challenging time. You may have been going through those choppy waters that prophetically we've heard about personally or as a family. Maybe us as a church. Maybe us as a nation in different levels. But as we go through them, we must remain people of integrity. People of holy living. People of righteous living. Don't drop your guard. Don't, don't, don't give in to the temptation. Draw again on the strength of the word and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus, I think, models for us how to continue in the power of the Spirit. Lo and behold, verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. He protected his times with God daily. And then lo and behold, we find verse 44 really sums up this, the passage we've just read as well. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, Jesus went to church every week. It's part of his topping up, part of his continuing in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's for us. And lastly, just really to some headlines, as, as you pray for the sick, as we pray for the sick, because we're going to keep doing it, even in the mystery, even with the frustrations because of who Jesus is and our faith in him. Just some headlines for you to dwell on. I haven't got time to unpack them. Let's be loving and discerning. Let's be simple and straightforward. Jesus was very simple with people when he ministered healing. Man, a few words in that moment. Let's learn from him. And I believe Jesus also um, was assertive at times, but not aggressive. When it came to the things of the spirit world. He was assertive. Be quiet. But he wasn't aggressive. So just some things to mull over. But let's, let's stand together, um, if you will. And we'll just see what the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us in the remainder of our time.